In your Bible, please, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, and we continue our study in chapter 3. This morning, our attention will be focused on verse 9. But we need, as always, to keep in context any verse that we are studying together. So we'll just read down from the first verse of chapter 3 to verse 9. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Nineteen times. Gladness. Joy difference between happiness and joy, happiness dependent, contingent on feelings, not so joy, contingent on faith. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, grievous, burdensome, but for you it is saved. I do not shrink from the burden of telling you over and over again the truth concerning Christ, because it is, it is the blessing upon which you are standing. You're safe. You're secure. Beware, though, of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Those that would cut you up and cast you away. For we are the circumcision Or worship. We are those who have been cleansed inwardly by the blood of Christ, who serve as those served in the temple, worshiping, who serve God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. And we spent several weeks looking at the flesh, the contrast. You're either in the spirit or you're in the flesh. We have no confidence in the flesh. Paul reminds us, in the flesh there dwelleth no good thing, nothing that can please God, nothing that makes us acceptable to God. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh if anyone else thinks he has confidence in the flesh. And we've seen Paul then parade his pedigree, and it's quite a pedigree, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, pure bloodline, concerning the law of Pharisee, prominent, powerful, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, Blameless, as far as the letter of the law, as far as you seeing me living my life, I'm living it in accordance with the law. But we know that God looks on the heart, not just the outward appearance. But what things were gained to me? These I have counted loss for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge, the experiential knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, 
his religious pedigree, his pedigree being a Roman citizen from a wealthy background, a prominent town. Consider all things. I count them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Praises pedigree and then makes that pronouncement that truly it is only Christ that counts. Nothing else matters. But he has no confidence. He has no standing before God. He recognizes that as far as the righteousness of the law is worthless. He recognizes and pronounces and be found not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but in contrast, that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Turn it with me, if you will, to Galatians, the second chapter. Galatians chapter 2. I'm reading from verse 17. But if while we seek to be justified, that is, declared right before God, if we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. We do fail. Is Christ, therefore, a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. If I'm holding on to those things which I felt in some way would gain me righteousness, then I would be a failure. But I've destroyed that. Those things which I destroyed, I make, my, I make myself a transgressor. For I thought that the law, uh, I through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. What's happened? I've been changed. How did it happen? Through death. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But the life which I now live in this body of flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Everything has changed. I don't go back because back means death. I go forward because of my death in Christ Jesus and the new life which I now have by faith in him. He loved me, gave himself for me. Verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Remember this letter is the strongest of all the scriptures concerning the contrast between trying to have a relationship with God through the law 
versus having a relationship with God through faith in Christ. And there is no common ground. The law brings, through its holiness, conviction of sin. The law brings condemnation in that sin. But the law was a vehicle through which to carry us to faith in Christ. And everything changes. It's the grace of God. And to go back, to in any way reconnect with or have any confidence or trust in the works of the law is to spit in the face of Christ on the cross. It's to declare what he did was nothing, empty. But the word of God declares it was everything. Look at chapter 3 of Galatians. Verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgression, convict of sin, willful disobedience, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. The law was given, but the law was given until the seed. And earlier, up in the earlier verse, verse 16, that the seed is Christ. The law was there, holy, but it convicts of sin. It condemns of sin. It makes sin, sin. It puts it on display. But then that conviction and condemnation is the very vehicle through which we are conveyed to saving faith in Christ. The one that the seed himself is the promise. The promise made to Abram. And that through his seed, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law... If there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness, right standing before God, a relationship with him, perfect in his holiness, in his righteousness. If there was a law given that could provide that, then certainly it would have been through the law. But the scriptures have confined that all are under sin, the conviction, the condemnation, that the promise by faith in Christ might be given to those who believe. No longer condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. But before faith came, we were kept under, under the law, under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would be afterward revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to carry, to bring, to convey us to saving faith in Christ, to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. 
But after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor, the guardian. The guardian fulfilled its function to carry us to faith in Christ. So, as far as my own righteousness is concerned, Paul says, according to the law, it's nothing. It's worthless. That's the flesh. That's the whole effort. That's the whole trying to somehow obtain. It is the doing. Every religion on the earth is built upon the flesh. Do, do, do. Try, try, try. The result? Failure, failure, failure. But in contrast to that is the righteousness from God. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We said the verse 9 that we're looking at this morning is in the context of this righteousness that has been revealed in the good news, the gospel. I... I don't find it in any way a burden to continually share with you the truth, the good news, the gospel. The reason for that is, it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The law is holy. The law is good. God gave the law. And the law reveals his holiness. But it also, because of the requirements of the law, reveals man's unholiness. It reveals the law, the righteousness of God, and reveals the unrighteousness of man. The only way that is resolved is that the righteousness of God is revealed in his Son. His death, burial, and resurrection in whom You have faith. You trust. And that allows the righteousness of God to be yours. The righteous, holy requirements of the law declared unequivocally righteousness. But it couldn't deliver it. In fact, it delivered just the opposite. But 
Faith. Trust. Or try. Good news. Faith. You don't need to try anymore. You need to trust. Or do. 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 Righteousness in Christ by faith. Done. Done. We no longer need to wear ourselves out trying. We need to rest in the finished work of Christ Jesus our Lord. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. How? By faith. I went over to chapter 3 of Romans. Verse 9, what then? Are we better than they? The Jew, better than the Gentile. He's been privileged, but he's no better. For we have previously charged both Jew and Gentile that they are all under sin. No one's exempt. As it is written, there's none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understands. There are none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. There's a lot of what in the flesh is accepted in this world as good. But as far as God's concerned, no. There's no goodness in the flesh, in the natural man. There is no goodness that you can produce. There is no goodness that is acceptable. Except the goodness that I give. There is none that does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb, sepulcher, with their Tongues, they practice deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. War, 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 war. That is the result of natural man. It is the result of sin. It is all part of God's plan, but there's no peace. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know the winner of the law says, it says to those that are under the law, that every, no exemption, every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. That's bad news. But that's not the end. There's good news. Therefore, by the deeds 
of the law, no flesh will be declared right before God, justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, good news, I've said before, the biggest little word in the Bible is but. Transition takes place. Every time you read that word but, a transition is taking place. There's a contrast being established. But now, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. <laughs> they declared it. They declared it. Even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who keep trying. No, who believe, who trust. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Good news, being justified, declared right, freely by his grace through the redemption, the apolytrosis, that's such a great word, the redemption. You know why it's so important? Man is not only a sinner, he is dead in his sins. He is powerless to do anything other than then sin. That's the power of sin. And the consequence, the righteous judgment of that is death. But God's loosed us. He's taken us and set us free from sin's power. He's taken us and released us from the judgment that awaits all unrighteousness. Set free. Set free. Little, little word, luo. It's the first word. You'll remember the first word you learned in your first year of Greek. Luo. To loose. Set free. But there's a little prefix on this word here. Apolytrosis. You've been free from. Never to have that relationship again. Removed. Delivered. You have been redeemed. Apolytrosis. That in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be the pro propitiation. He is the propitiation for our sins, John says, and for all of the sins of the world. What's that word propitiation means? It's the word that encompasses God's mercy. God's mercy that is in the sacrifice that he has provided. In the Old Testament, when the Jews worshipped through the Levitical system. They worshipped and brought their offerings, their sacrifices. And in the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God specially resided with his people, there was the mercy seat where God met and received 
the sacrifices that were acceptable to him, which he had provided. He is the propitiation, the satisfying sacrifice that God has mercifully put in place. He is the propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, he had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Propitiation has to do with God's mercifully providing an acceptable, satisfying sacrifice. The whole Old Testament is about that propitiation. Adam and Eve in the garden. Disobeying God's directive. Hiding now from God. Recognizing that everything that they had with God and with one another had changed. And so what did they do? They covered themselves up. To make themselves, hopefully, trying to make themselves acceptable to God and to one another. What did God do? He shed blood. Took the skins. I don't think he just skinned the animal. He, 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 he killed the animal and he took skins and covered them. It was the first place in the scriptures that we have propitiation. God mercifully covered them up through a sacrifice that was acceptable and satisfying to him at that time, the blood. And then there's a progression all through the Old Testament about the shedding of blood. Abram takes Isaac up on the mount. He's about to plunge the knife over up his own son before God. And God mercifully interjects a substitute. A ram caught in his horns. And in the place of Isaac is now a sacrifice provided by God. Wholly acceptable, satisfying, and the sacrifice was given. Nations in bondage. Egypt. Things aren't going well. The Lord says, I'm going to come. And I'm going to come through the land. And I'm going to bring judgment, but I'm going to also bring deliverance. And here's how it's going to work. You take a lamb, offer it up for your home, for your family. And if there's not a, enough to satisfy that lamb as a sacrifice, bring in others. But those under that roof that eat that sacrifice and then take the blood and apply it to the door lentils 
when I pass through in judgment, I'll pass over those houses. Where? Propitiation. Where the blood has been shed. Where the blood has been sacrificed. Where the blood is of a substitute. I'm satisfied in that. And I will deliver. People are delivered. God mercifully again gives them the law. The holiness of God revealed. And the relationship that he desires to have with his chosen people. A relationship of holiness, of righteousness, but also a relationship of justice. And so, a Levitical system is put in place. How these chosen people will worship and have a relationship with the true and the living God through the blood. All the sacrifices offered up were sacrifices that God had provided at that time to cover over, to cover up sin, but not anymore. He did that in his forbearance, God's long-suffering. Redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at this present time his righteousness, that he might be just. That's why some think it may be trivial, but it's why when we come to the word pardon in our hymn book, we don't sing it. We replace it with new life, uh, justified, because, you see, a pardon is not just. It's merciful. Forgiveness is granted, but the penalty hasn't been paid. But in Christ Jesus, the penalty's been paid. It covered up. Kafar in the Hebrew, the sins of the past. That was his provision. But the sin was still there. Why? Because it hadn't been fully paid for. His justice had not been satisfied until the blood of Christ that doesn't cover our sins. It cleanses us from all sin. It carries it away. Thus, God is just. Righteous requirements have been satisfied. But he's also the justifier. Because he did it himself in our behalf through his son. The justifier 
of the one who has faith in Jesus. We're going to look next week, Lord willing, at how Abraham is the example that all of the Hebrew nation was aware of. It's a man of faith. But for us this morning, as we look at Philippians 3.9, back there if you have it, left that, stay there. If you have, go back. being found in him not having my own righteousness which was from the law that's a cover up that's outward but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus the righteousness which is from God by faith. You don't try. You trust. You don't do. Because it's done. Thank you, Lord. For your righteousness. We sang earlier this morning. Clothed in his righteousness divine. That's how you see us. That is how we are. Not in the flesh, not in ourselves, not in Adam. But in the last Adam. That's how you see us. That's how you declare us. Righteous in Christ Jesus, we give you eternal praise. Amen.